0: Hello, and welcome to FaithCast, presented by Publishers Weekly. FaithCast is a series of interviews with some of today's top authors who write about religion, spirituality, and inspiration. I'm Marcia Nelson, Religion Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly. I'm talking today with Tullian Tovidjin. Tullian is pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's also a visiting professor of theology at Reformed Theological Seminary and he is a grandson of Billy and Ruth Graham. He's written several books. Most recently, or previously, I should say, since we're here to talk about his new book, but the most recent was Glorious Ruin. Talian also speaks at conferences around the world. His brand new book is called One Way Love, Inexhaustible Grace for an Exhausted World, And that book will be published October 1st by David C. Cook, which sponsors this podcast. One Way Love offers a very welcome promise of God's grace for people who are hurting or are just plain tired. And I will let the author at this point expand on his message. Welcome, Tullian.
1: Thanks for having me, Marcia. It's great to be with you.
0: So, let's get to talking about your new book, which you wrote. And let's use the subtitle as a jumping-off point, because it certainly spoke to me, especially this week, and I think it'll speak to a lot of people. The subtitle is, Inexhaustible Grace for an Exhausted World. So, what, what drew you to the central metaphor of Exhaustion.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, well, I'm exhausted, <laughs> um, and virtually every single person I talk to is exhausted. People are exhausted relationally. People are exhausted physically. People are exhausted spiritually. You know, people are exhausted in ways uh, that seem common to everyone uh, when you begin to go beneath the surface and really talk with people, uh, it's not long before they admit that they're tired and they're weary and many people are worn out. And um, And so as I was thinking about not only my own life, but the people that I talk to and the world that we live in, I really started exploring this subject of exhaustion and asking why. Why are people exhausted? Is it simply because life is busy and children are demanding and uh, there's competition? in the workplace that we 're always that we 're always attempting to do more and try harder is is that the core reason why we 're exhausted or is there something deeper and what I discovered in talking to people and excavating my own heart is that um, is that we really are exhausted in doing all of these things um, because in essence we 're trying to save ourselves and what I mean by that is a lot of our efforts, whether it be our efforts relationally, our efforts inside the home, our efforts in the workplace, uh, a lot of our efforts are fueled by this pressure we feel to generate our own value, to generate our own worth, to secure meaning for ourselves, to to ensure that um, that we attain the significance that we crave and all of that stuff. So that really is behind why we want to raise kids who do well that's that's really the reason why we want to give attention to our marriage and have a happy relationship that's why we work so hard in the workplace um, is Underneath the surface, and most people aren't conscious of this unless they really stop and think about it, but underneath the surface is this longing, this desire to matter, to make our life count, uh, to ensure, as I said, that we um, live a meaningful life and that we secure for ourselves the worth and the value and the acceptance and the approval that we long for. That's really what's driving all of our hard work and Mm -hmm. our busyness. And and so as I started to explore that and then comparing that to the message that the Bible gives us, which is the inexhaustible, unmerited grace of God to worn out and weary people that he gives us, not because we deserve it, but because it's free, that if we are in Christ, then everything that we need and long for, we already possess. All of the approval we long for we've already been given. All of the acceptance we long for, we've already been given. Because of what Jesus has done for us, my life is invested with meaning and worth and value. And that, that sets me free in some remarkable ways from trying to secure for myself what Jesus has already secured for me.
0: In what you've just said, this is how I want to to respond or ask a question. What I like about your book is how reflective you are about very common things in everyday life. And then you also have this larger context of faith and grace and God and God's law and God's love. Now, I know you're a pastor, you've been thinking about this a while, and you get paid to do this, but how can you make those kinds of connections between God and God's grace and What goes on as as we're, you know, over the kitchen table when we're talking to our our children or or our spouse? Because, yeah, I have to tell you, a lot of uninspired preachers just can't make that connection.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's part of what I address in the book as well. Uh Why is this message of good news uh, missing? from so many churches and so many pulpits. In fact, when I talk to people who have been broken and burned by the church, a lot of what they tell me is that they were... They were burdened by what they heard. Um, you know, Jesus told the Pharisees, um, you know, woe to you who tie up heavy burdens and place them on men's shoulders. When Jesus's message was, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've come to do for you what you could never do for yourself. That's good news. That Good news is supposed to be relieving. It's supposed to set us free. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to make us feel lighter. And oftentimes, most people in church feel like um, what, they get from the pulpit and what they get in the community of the church makes life harder it puts more (laughs) pressure on them to do more try harder be better clean up their act if you really want god to love you then you better work harder you better clean up your Mm -hmm. act you better get it straight and you better get it right well um You know, this book really does address that. In fact, this is a really, really, really big deal to me because Mm -hmm. I've been inside the church my entire life now, and I've been a preacher now for almost 20 years, uh, and I'm really, really hoping that this book serves as a catalyst for a major paradigm shift in the church in America, specifically. In fact, in recent years, a handful of books have Uh been published, Christian books, um, urging a more robust, radical, and sacrificial expression of the Christian faith. I mean, I even wrote one of them. It was called (laughs) Unfashionable, Making a Difference in the World by Being Different. And Uh I heartily amen the desire to take one's faith seriously and demonstrate before the watching world a willingness to be more than just Sunday churchgoers. I mean, the fact that Christians want to engage the wider community with God's sacrificial love is a wonderful thing and should be applauded. The unintended consequence of this recent push, however, is that if we're not careful, We give people the impression that Christianity is first and foremost about the sacrifice we make for Jesus rather Ah. than the sacrifice Jesus made for us. It's about our performance for him rather than his performance for us. It's all about our obedience for him rather than his obedience for us. And what I want to say to the church and to the world is that the hub of Christianity is not do something for Jesus, the hub and essence of the Christian faith is Jesus has done everything for you. And my fear is that too many people, both inside and outside the church, have heard our pleas for intensified devotion uh-huh. and concluded that the focus of the Christian faith is our love for God instead of God's love for us. And I tell people, I said, don't get me wrong, what we do is important, but it's infinitely less important than what Jesus has done for us, and so I, I'm hoping that <laughs> um, you know that people will come to understand that you know Christianity is not about good people getting better. If anything, it's okay. good news for bad people coping with their failure to be good.
0: Well then now's a good time for me to ask this question because I wonder if if part of the I hear a lot of passion in your voice and mm. and I also know having read the book that your book's very personally revealing you you said, just said something about you know this is grace for bad people for for exhausted people your your book goes into some mistakes you've made your misspent youth and here I I have to read this line because it's it just it took me aback when I, when I first read it. In the chapter, which is titled, How I Almost Killed My Mother, the, fir- the first line is, I was 16 when my parents kicked me out of the house. Mm. Now, here you are, Pastor Javidjan. <laughs> Does this passion come because you have yourself experienced um, this, this all-encompassing, um, inexhaustible grace and love?
1: There's no doubt. I mean, I uh, am the middle of seven children. I was raised in a remarkable atmosphere. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to good churches. I grew up going to Christian schools. The flavor of Christianity that was expressed in my house growing up was not oppressive or legalistic. It was Mm -hmm. warm and hospitable and joyful and fun and all of that stuff. But because I was a middle child, um, I just didn't know where I fit inside the home. Mm -hmm. And when you're... When you're a young guy, 12, 13, 14 years old, and you don't know where you fit inside the home, you start trying to figure out where you fit outside the home. And when you're desperate to belong and you're desperate to matter and you're trying to find yourself and all that stuff, you start hanging out with anybody who will accept you. Mm -hmm. And so that leads to some pretty unwise choices. And um, all of that culminated at the ripe young age at 16 when my lifestyle had become so disruptive to the rest of the household that my parents were left with no choice. Voice, but to say, we love you, but if you're going to continue living this way, you can't live under our roof. And they kicked me out of the house. I dropped out of high school at that time, which... I thought was the greatest thing in the world. No parents breathing down my neck, no teachers looking over my shoulder. I was finally free. Whatever I wanted to pursue and growing up in South Florida, in the Miami area, you know, there's there's plenty to do if you're <laughs> a young guy looking to have fun. And so I lived very, very hard and very, very fast for a number of years. And um, God really brought me to the end of myself at 21 years old and, uh-huh. um, and rescued me and raised me from death to life. Life and uh, and you know I, it was it's still to this day i'm 41 years old now, this is twenty years ago and um, and I'm, I'm still to this day absolutely flabbergasted and amazed at how patient and forbearing God was with me and how relentlessly he pursued a rebel like me and so certainly grace has been uh, a significant part of my own story, but it didn't stop there. And that's oftentimes what Christians think. They think grace gets you in, but then my hard work keeps me in. And I made that mistake, too. Because after I became a Christian, um, I started thinking, okay, God's blood, sweat, and tears got me in, but it's got to be my blood, sweat, and tears that keeps me in. So I developed a long list of things that I needed to do in order to maintain God's favor. Um, I mean, it, it required me. I had journaled every day, and I tell all these stories mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the book. I journaled every day. I had to read three chapters in the Bible every day. I had to pray for at least an hour every day, and of course, I had to pray on my knees because God... God knows that God doesn't even hear our prayers if we're not on our knees. Right. Uh, I mean, I had this laundry list of things that I thought I needed to do in order to be a good Christian, in order for God to keep liking me. Um, And uh, that burned me out fast. Uh, And what was interesting to me as I thought about this and I talk about this in the book is that – You know, for so many years of my life, I was trying to find freedom and fullness of life by breaking the rules. And then after I became a Christian, I tried to find freedom and fullness of life by keeping the rules. Um, And it was like in the parable of the prodigal son. I was like the younger brother for many years. And then after I became a Christian, I... Almost immediately became like the older brother. Like, <laughs> Why didn't you throw me a party? I've been keeping your rules all along, Dad. Um, and so this book really does dive deep into both both uh, groups of people, the kind of people who are worn out and weary because they're trying to find life by breaking the rules and the people who are worn out and weary because they're trying to find life by keeping the rules. And what I want to say to people inside and outside the church is the heart of the Christian faith is, is not good advice, it's not good technique, and it's not good behavior. The heart of the Christian faith is good news. And too many people have walked away from the church Not because they're walking away from Jesus, but because the church has walked away from Jesus. Um, And, you know, they've turned the Christian faith into a do more, try harder checklist of things you must do if God's going to keep loving you. And the glorious good news is the fact that God doesn't love me more when i 'm doing well and he doesn 't love me less when i 'm not doing well uh, god 's love for me is ultimately determined by what Jesus has done for me, not what I do or fail to do for him and that that has liberated me in ways that I never knew possible, and I just I want to share this good news with the world and my My fear is that there are scores of people who have rejected the Christian faith, but what they 've rejected is not really the Christian faith. They've rejected a caricature of the Christian faith that they've heard or been on the receiving end of, which is sort of this oppressive kind of moralism Uh that really does say the focus of the Christian faith is what you do. And how good you can be, uh, not what Jesus has done, and you know like i like I said, you know a few minutes ago, Christianity is not about good people getting better, if anything it's good news for bad people coping with their failure to be good i mean that's what that's what the good news of Jesus is all about that he has come to do for me and secure for me what I could never do and secure for myself, and I don't have to work for it, I don't have to work for it and even Christian people, they're still trying to, maybe, maybe they're not consciously trying to earn God's favor, but they're still trying to validate their existence and gain people's approval and work for acceptance and, um, you know, try to get worth and value by the things that they do and the children that they raise. And I want to say, listen, the gospel is the good news where Jesus announces the pressure's off. I've done it all. Um, and that's what I want to share with the world.
0: I can tell that you have pretty good genes for preaching. <laughs> uh, preaching, as we know, uh, does seem to run in your family. You are, of course, the A-grandson of Billy Graham and Ruth Graham, the late Ruth Graham. Can you can you tell us how your grandfather is doing these days?
1: Yeah, he's actually doing remarkably well. You know, in 2007, when my grandmother died, all of us predicted that it wouldn't be long before uh-huh. my grandmother uh, that typically happens. They were married for a very, very long time. And, um, and you know, that was, what, six years ago now? Uh, just over six years ago. And right. he's only written two books since then. He's getting ready uh, to launch this nationwide campaign, called My Hope, um, which is uh, an effort that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is making where they are filming my grandfather, basically preaching one final sermon. It'll be aired nationally on November seventh, which is his birthday, his ninety-fifth birthday, and they're encouraging people to invite their friends into their home and watch it. And uh, so he's doing really well. Of course, he's he's going to be ninety-five, so physically he's weak, and you know his body seems to be shutting down in various ways, but he's not fighting any um, any specific. Illness right now. Um, his mind is sharp. I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks, and um, and he's really proud of him and excited. Uh, that he still has things he wants to do. I mean, he still feels like God wants to do a couple of more things, that his time here is not finished. And um, just a remarkable, remarkable man. He's one of my best friends and one of my primary advisors and counselors. And uh, he wrote a remarkably encouraging blurb for my book, One Way Love. And I didn't expect to do it because he's so old and he doesn't have time to do these things. that's,
0: That's sweet. That's great. That's lovely.
1: And just very much in tune with what I'm doing and what other family members are doing and is a constant source of encouragement and um, just an amazing man. I mean, I've never met anybody. I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of interesting and famous people in my life, um, but no one has embodied humility the way that he has. He has accomplished more in his life than a thousand men, and he really believes at at his core that he's – That he's nothing. Um, He seems oblivious to his fame. He seems oblivious to his accomplishments. And that's just a gift from God. He's so down to earth and so humble and so real. and, And that's why people really of all faiths and backgrounds, even if they don't agree with his Christian faith, they respect him and admire him.
0: Well, thank you so much for opening that little door into your family. And I'd, I'd like to end our time with, with a final question for you about you and what's next for you in turn, ter- uh, you're going on on tour to promote this book. Um, what's
1: next? I was just looking at my schedule and I got so tired. And weary looking at it, I had to read my book again. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I'll be busy uh, this fall. I'm going on tour with a good friend of mine named Matt Chandler, who also just wrote a book published by David C. Cook called To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain. Uh, The tour is called The Gospel Tour, and we'll be stopping in three cities, um, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Oceanside, California, and Springfield, Missouri. Uh, to do a tour uh, where we're both speaking uh, on the topics of our book, and there's a lot of overlap in the topics of our book. And uh, I'll be going to New York uh, in October to do a number of TV spots for the book and um, just really, really looking forward to getting this message out. I'm really hopeful uh, that God will use it and that people will be set free and that they will hear this message and hear it as good news. Hopefully, this book can help recast the Christian faith in a way that is remarkably appealing and helpful. And, um, you know, we just get so burnt out when we feel like the burden is on us to make it happen. And the good news of the gospel is that like I said, Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and therefore the pressure's off. And, uh, and we live our lives under a banner that reads, it is finished. Um, and that hopefully will sound really, really relieving to people when they hear it.
0: And I have to say, on the subject of it is finished, our, our time here is ending, and so you can catch your breath <laughs> and, and uh, gather your strength for what's next uh, on your road. And thank you so very, very much, Talia and Vijin, for taking time for this conversation in your busy schedule. Thank you
1: having me, Marcia. It's been a privilege talking with you.
0: Thank you. And I'd like to remind our listeners that Tullian's book, One Way Love, Inexhaustible Grace for an Exhausted World, will be published October 1st by David C. Cook, the sponsor of today's presentation. I'm Marcia Nelson from Publishers Weekly. Thanks so much for listening to FaithCast.